Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman, your host. I have Bob Dumas here. He's our editor of Mayapac News. Tom Walagorski, he's the editor of the Somers Record and North Salem News. And I have Brian Marshauser, editor of Your Town News and the Katona Lewis Pro Times. I always have to focus on that because I know I mess it up during one of our recordings a few weeks back. So uh, anyway, uh, I appreciate the three of you coming on. Bob, I'm going to start with you first. Uh, this is our editorial roundup. And uh, I just want to, we had some technical difficulties last week. So we welcome you yeah, back. I- uh, I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to jump to, I guess, the biggest story in May, Pack, if you want to talk about that, with the superintendent. Oh, yeah. Anthony DiCarlo, the superintendent of the Mayapak School District, announced last week that he will be retiring early. He had signed a five-year contract, but after four years, he's hanging it up. And the school board has already begun the search for his replacement. You know, he didn't give a concrete reason other than saying he kind of know when it's time. You know, he had some medical issues earlier in the year where he missed about a month. And that combined with all the stress of dealing with running a school district during the pandemic, I think, just piled up on him. And he uh, has decided to uh, he's going to stay till the end of the school year. So as of graduation next year in June, he'll be done. And the school board hopes to have his replacement in place by July 1st. So he's a local guy. He's very well known. And so... Is there any speculation now going on about who might replace him? Before the show started, we talked about how, I guess, the last time around, everyone in town, or not everyone, but you know, a significant number of people in town really were clamoring for someone local. Is that still going right. on? I talked to Mike Mong on the president of the school board about that. Obviously, they're going to go through BOCES as like their headhunters. You know, look, that's how they did it last time. And they'll use BOCES again to track down candidates. And I talked to Mike Mong on the president of the school board about that, you know, about how last time there was a lot of pressure to find somebody local. And he said, that's not going to be, I mean, if they do, great, but that's not going to be the focal point of their search this year. They're going to look for, quote unquote, the best candidate that they think that can help the district moving forward. So I don't know if that's going to be as big a priority this time around. And then I know there's a big hubbub that happened with uh, Langley McConville and a recording of Ken Schmidt. This is kind of a complicated story, and it's one of those ones that only comes up around, as we like to call election time, the silly season. But yeah, this has to do with the race for Putnam County Sheriff. And it's really complicated, but I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Democrat Sheriff Bob Langley, and he's being challenged by Republican Kevin McConville. And apparently, about a month ago, a private conversation between Carmel Supervisor Ken Schmidt and Langley was recorded by the Sheriff's Department. And then that recording not too long after, ended up on social media. So McConville has originally claimed that he had broken laws and ethics and this is terrible and how can we 
trust him ever again. Well, it turns out he broke no law. I talked to the DA about this, and you're allowed to do that as long as one party, and this is state law, as long as one party knows it's being recorded. And if you talk to Langley, he said that all professional calls that emanate from the sheriff's department, which this did, are automatically recorded. And he said that's true of any law enforcement agency. You know, it's a standard operating procedure. But it was a conversation between Supervisor Schmidt and Sheriff Langley in which Schmidt, a Republican, was offering his full support to the Democrat Langley and saying because he had been dissed by the McConville campaign by not being asked to join the committee. He felt disrespected. So he gushed over Langley and what a great job he was doing. And you have my full support. And then and this is where the timeline gets murky. It depends on who you ask. Like when Schmidt came out and endorsed McConville, despite what he had told Langley that he was going to support them. You know, did it happen before the call, after the call? You know, it depends on who you talk to and get the timeline of it. But Somebody, and we don't know who, somebody, a supporter of Langley, leaked this phone call onto social media. It's been taken down since then. Nobody can quite figure out the reason why, because it doesn't really benefit anybody other than to make Kenny Schmidt look bad. And he's a lame duck anyway. He's done it in a few months. And so everybody's kind of scratching their head. But McConville's tried to make it a huge issue And I'm not sure how much traction it's gaining, but that's one of our big stories in the paper that just came out. And Bob, tell Uh, me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that there's not the usual party split between McConville and Langley. It seems that, and tell me, I mean, I could be mistaken, but it seems that there are a number of Republicans who are supporting Langley this time around. And um, I don't know about Democrats supporting McConville, but it does seem like a lot of Republicans in the community seem to... support Langley. Am, am I mistaken with that? Or This is all gut and I'm terrible at predicting elections, but I think if we did do a, a poll that, you know, it's always hard to be, and the incumbents always have the advantage. And I think most people are satisfied with the job he's done, at least overall. Crime is down. But, you know, he's been at loggerheads with the county legislature over many different things because they are 99% Republican, and he's a Democrat, and they've really politicized the sheriff's department over a bunch of different issues, usually monetary-related. The sheriff wants body cams for the deputies, and the legislature won't give them money to do it. You know? you know, Whether there are Republicans out there supporting Langley or not, I don't have any... Uh, you know, I'm sure there are, but I, you know, nobody's talked to me about that. I mean, I don't know. I'm just following some of the conversations on social media the Our Town Political Forum or whatever it's called. And um, there seemed to be some weird political alignments that I didn't fully expect to see. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's kind of a partisan Facebook page. But, you know, you get all kinds of people showing up on it, saying all kinds of different things. So I always take what's on there with a grain of salt. Interesting. So, uh, Bob, I know you said you wanted to talk a little bit about budget season and tis the season ken schmidt will be presenting the last budget of his supervisor career at next week's or i guess since it's being recorded and released it'll be this week's um town board meeting i have no clue as to uh what it'll be like last year taxes actually went down and the year before that they were flat they're also gonna get that money 
the COVID money from the federal government over which, three million dollars, which I'm sure saves all our towns. That COVID money. Yeah, yeah, everybody's yeah. going to get that. The thing I learned last night that I didn't realize is originally the deadline was October 31st for towns to explain how they, they have to explain how they're going to use the money. It's got to get approved because it's only can be done for certain things. But that deadline got extended to April of mm. next year. So they have a little more breathing room to decide. But the comptroller for the town, Mary Ann Maxwell, was saying last night, we want to get on this right away. They're going to start discussing how to use the money. They're bringing in Mike Kazari, who will be the supervisor beginning January 1st, so he can be part of the discussion because it'll ultimately be his administration that probably makes the final decisions on what to do with this money. I will say, um, you know, A, I, I wish Ken Schmidt well. He still has a couple months left in his administration. Uh, he's always been just a gentleman. Anytime I've seen him face to face, very nice guy. So I do wish him well. I got thinking about that because I know many years ago, one of the prior editors of Mayapac News, they were raising taxes one year and the headline was about raising taxes and the editor included a smiling face of Ken Schmidt. And he was so, <laughs> ang- he was so angry with us. He showed up at our office, really pissed off at us saying like, how could you put a smiling face with the taxes going up, so uh, I I'll think never... I still have that picture on my desktop. <laughs> yeah, 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 so. yeah. Fair grape in, in some respects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah. he has a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was before my time. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, and then we got a bunch of Halloween events coming up. There's the trunk or treat that the MSA cheerleaders put on. This that'll be Friday night. There's the the Mayapac senior citizens are having a big Halloween party. And then, of course, at the end of the month, the Park and Rec's Harvest Festival at Sycamore Park, which has a costume parade. So we'll be all over the Halloween-themed related stuff with lots of photos and and whatnot. And uh, that's about it for me right now. Great. I have to say, um, Halloween's definitely big in our neighborhood. My kids are very excited. We have uh, two. Uh, Halloween's also expensive, I have to say. I mean, I mean, this is the first time we really went all out. And uh I decided that every year I'll spend a little bit because I wasn't going to go totally all out because I would have broken the bank. But, um, you know, we bought some gravestones in our yard and some cobwebs and, you know, so all sorts of fun things. I, Halloween is just a great holiday. Love it. I'm going to skip over now to Tom, talk a little bit about some of the items going on in North Salem and Somers, and then we'll end with Brian with uh, some issues going on with uh, Yorktown and Lakeland and some very interesting issues with the. Uh, Let's go, Brandon. So I uh, just want to give everyone a little preview so they'll stay on the episode. So, uh, Tom, you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, some North Salem and Somers getting together and maybe collaborating with uh, an important infrastructure. This is one of those happy times where, you know, my uh, two towns actually are sort of looking to be teaming up for something. And uh, I'd like to see that, you know, they share a border. Um, from my experience, the communities are both wonderful, but they're two very different places. And I find that the, you know, sometimes the flavor of the newspapers and my interactions with the community are very different in both very good ways. So I like when they're teaming up on things. It's kind of like worlds colliding when the two supervisors get together. But um, basically, we'll, we'll start in North Salem. So the big thing there is that they're trying to update the master plan for Croton Falls. And uh, if anybody's familiar with Croton Falls, you know, it's a smaller hamlet of the town, but there's a lot of interesting things happening there. And it was great to see that there was a big community reaction to the meeting that they had. And there's actually going to be a part two of the meeting on Tuesday, October 19th at the uh, Croton Falls Firehouse. 
for anybody that didn't have a chance to weigh in on the first one. They actually sent me a legal notice and I normally don't do this. I normally publish legal notices in the back of the paper. I published that particular notice. Uh, I think it was either page four or five of this week, you know, the week of uh, the October 14th issue, just because I thought that was so important for the community to see. Yeah, no, thank you for doing that. And yeah, this definitely was important because it is, it's discussing the future of the community and it encompasses everything. There was a lot of reaction. There was a local business owner that showed up. One of the big issues with what's going on in Croton Falls is that there's a, you know, a lot of talk about traffic flow, signage, turning the old train depot, which is now owned by the town into a center for the arts. So a lot of good things that are potential to expand the community and move it forward. But the problem is with infrastructure and the availability of septics and sewers and everything. Basically, right now, the uh, residents of Croton Falls, everything is uh, their septics that have to be constantly maintained and pumped out. And that's a lot of time. It's a lot of expense. So really, to move that area forward, they would need access to like a centralized like a sewer system. They would need to be connected to that. And I have to admit, and I mentioned this to you and Carol, that's where I'm, I am very confused about that. You know, I have a septic system in my house. You know, it's not connected to anybody else's septic system. And I was told when I moved in, you know, you got to pump it out every two years. So when I saw Carol's story that pumping it out like 10 times a year, that was flabbergasting to me. As somebody who is just starting to dip their toe into home ownership, I'm horrified by the idea of what this is going to cost me. I missed the good old days of renting already. I think it's like $1,000 even less every two years to get it pumped out. Yeah, well, Um, you got to maintain it though. (laughs) Yes. In the sense that, you know, we had a new tank just put in and it's close to $5,000. Oh, really? Yeah. Everyone I've heard say like it's $30,000. No, and you're thinking of the fields. If you have to get your fields replaced, that will be the true bigger expense. But yeah, yeah. But an actual tank, we put a new concrete tank in replacing the old iron tank. They emptied the tank. They pulled it out of the ground and it just folded upon itself because it was just these old tanks that were in the ground for 60 years. It was an immediate fail if you have one of those tanks in the ground. It's not iron. I think it's aluminum. but But I do know when we moved in, the old owners pumped it out, at least we we're told so, because um, the real estate agent said that whenever someone leaves a house, they're supposed to take their shit with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you'd, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Yes. So I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Tom, go on. <laughs> Sidetrack. Sorry. That I have things to look forward to in my new house. So, anyway, so it's definitely a concern as you know, people consider what the future of you know, infrastructure and the master plan for Croton Falls is going to be. So then enter the town of Somers. Somers is also dealing with its own water issues and sort of has been for a long time, actually in several aspects of, in several areas of the town. And that's why this story, um, I'm enjoying it because it encompasses a lot of different things of both communities. But, you know, they're nothing official yet. They've just sort of entered into the public talks for this. But it's nice to see that they're, you know, at least considering working together to, towards a common solution. This would be like a mutually beneficial thing. Because the issues in Somers, on the one hand, you have the residents of Lake Purdy's they're considering entering into a, because right, they have the same issue. They're just on their own septic system and everything. But if they entered and got connected to a larger sewer district, that would ease the burden on everybody who lived in Lake Purdy's. And it would also make kind of an inroads to saving the actual lake itself, because you wouldn't have that runoff from all the septic systems. So if they were to get in on that, you know, benefits the residents, better for the environment. And also Somers has uh, issues with water, like they call them forever chemicals. They're called PFOs and PFAS. 
And that's also sort of why, like in certain like, you know, municipal buildings, like actually in the Elephant Hotel, you can't drink the water there. Mm, interesting. And, you know, this has been an issue for a long time. It's um, just something that everybody's gotten used to. But saying that if they were to be getting water from a different source, they would have to install new pipes and do that infrastructure work. And while they were doing that, they might be able to actually do the partnership and have the sewer districts from North Salem run through there. So there's a lot of moving pieces to this. There's been talk that they might actually try to route some of the wastewater from North Salem into the Heritage Hills processing, which it would only be about 11,000 gallons a day. And from my understanding, the facility at Heritage Hills is not even close to being at capacity yet. So it is definitely one of those things where if this breaks right, this could be really great for both communities and really help, you know, with a couple problems in several different areas of both towns. So it was nice to see, you know, Supervisor Lucas and uh, Supervisor Morrissey starting uh, the conversation about this. The uh, the planning board from North Salem is also in on it. So it's good to see everybody really getting in on this and trying to work towards a solution. Yeah, I know at one point there was a conversation years ago with the town of Somers and I believe the town of Carmel because, you know, they share a border also. They share a lot of border. I know town of Carmel, the Route 6 corridor, I think they wanted to expand some sewer expansion. And this is, you know, years ago, I don't, I don't know where there's at now. And they were in talks. I think they were trying to talk to Somers and I, I don't know what came of it. I don't think it came to fruition. But anyway, I know you also wanted to mention um, some big sports stories going on in both of the towns. Yeah, again, I love when things apply to both of my towns, but we actually had the uh, the league championship meet was held yesterday evening at uh, Pauling High School. And uh, it was nice to see that actually North Salem cross country won their first league title in uh, 44 years. So uh, congratulations to the Tigers. And also both the boys and the girls uh, cross country squads from Somers actually both also captured the league title. So go Tuskers. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I have to say I did cross country my freshman year in high school and I hated it. <laughs> um, it, it, it was miserable. I ran track for a couple of years. It's uh, you know, it's not it's not for everybody. I did sprinting. I love sprinting, but anything beyond yeah. 200 meters, I found grueling. So <laughs> no, both. Uh, yeah, just you know, big congratulations. Uh, you know, I, I was in talks with actually all the coaches over the summer, and I know that they were putting in a lot of summer training. So it's nice to see the payoff there. Very, uh, you know, very proud of all the teams there. Fantastic. And I know the other big story that hits the New York Post about North Salem is uh yes friend, we have a, our, we have, we have a, a, a somewhat celebrity wedding happening this weekend yes uh yeah jennifer gates daughter of uh everybody knows bill gates is uh yep she's actually going to be getting married in north salem on saturday so her there's been a, a lot of preparations for this actually the um farm that she owns is called uh, evergate stables it's off mills road and yeah it was actually a uh, 16 million dollar graduation present from her father when she graduated from stanford a few years ago so the big question are all the attendees going to be vaccinated? Oh, that is a million dollar <laughs> question. I'm still waiting for my invite to this. I, I don't understand why they wouldn't invite the local media to it, but we with Miss Gates, all the better. It's, uh, you know, as somebody who recently took the walk down the aisle, I know all the stress and anticipation that goes into this. So I wish her and her future husband very well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to jump over now to Brian. I know the big story, the real true story, then we'll go to the kind of the, the controversy, but well, actually both are controversial. Well, I would say yeah. all the stories I want to talk about today are somewhat controversial. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Lakeland superintendent? You want to follow up on that? Yeah, let's start with that. So um, ironically, his name is also Brandon. Brandon Lyon is no longer the uh, superintendent of Lakeland schools. We reported as much last week. Lakeland school board met on a Saturday 9 a.m. 
They went into executive session with their attorney. They emerged and he was gone. We've since learned new information. Did, did we'll, they we'll, say to him, let's go, Brandon? <laughs> I don't think so. They might have said that the, the true meaning. Uh, not but uh, I say this all the time. In reporting, it's very easy to know the who, what, when, and where. Those are very easy to report. The why is always difficult to find out, especially when nobody talks. And especially because we've since learned that they've signed a contract that prevents either side from disparaging each other. I kind of predicted as much. I've seen this language written into a lot of uh, resignation clauses where you can't say anything bad about the other side. I suppose that's um, kind of standard these days, but I don't think it matters. I don't think either side was saying anything. School boards are tight-lipped. They don't want to make the job less attractive to other candidates, you know, trashing a superintendent or saying something about a superintendent on the way out. And Lyons doesn't want to say anything about the district. He'd rather just move on and, you know, look toward the future, I'm sure. But either way, they mentioned at that meeting that they had signed an employment-related agreement with Lyons. Obviously, as a reporter, my ears perked up and I said, I need to see that agreement. The first thing on everybody's mind was, okay, this guy was making a quarter million a year. He's not going to leave all that money on the table voluntarily. And sure enough, he didn't. Uh, He's going to basically get paid the salary for the rest of his year. He's guaranteed to get at least $198,000. And he could get even $44,000 more on top of that if he's still unemployed by the end of next August. So basically, it's a $200,000 payout. So they're going to pay a salary for the rest of the year to not be here. And, um, you know, it's not shocking, but we reported that we had to submit a freedom of information request to get that information. I knew we wouldn't really have a problem getting it because in any expenditure of taxpayer money, I can't imagine any reason to keep that from us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wish they had shared it without me having to foil it, but at least they were pretty quick with responding to my request. And they didn't put up a fight because I was ready for one. I was actually pleasantly surprised when it arrived in my inbox on the Friday news dump, 4 p.m. Friday. Uh, But I still rushed to get it out before the weekend. So that's basically the end of the Lions uh, saga. You know, I think Lakeland is looking to move on. The buzzword they keep saying is moving Lakeland forward. They're not saying forward from what exactly, but they want to move Lakeland forward. So they appointed Dr. Karen Gagliardi, who was an assistant superintendent for instruction former principal, uh, Thomas Jefferson Elementary School. She was immediately named acting superintendent, I guess the second in line. And then she was uh, got the job on the interim basis at the school board's meeting last week. She becomes the first female superintendent in the history of Lakeland School District. So that's uh, noteworthy for sure. But more noteworthy will be where she stands on the issues. Obviously, if Dr. Brendan Lyons if he was polarizing because where he stood on these issues, obviously the first thing we want to know is, well, where does she stand? Is she going to continue his diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives? Is she going to scale them back? Is she going to pump the brakes? Is she going to involve the community more? We're not really sure. But I do think a lot of it is personality-based too, in the sense that I think there was some issues with Dr. Lyons living in Dutchess County and never really felt a part of this community. And she does live in this community. She lives in Yorktown. Her her kids went to Lakeland. You know, she's been in the school district for 20 years. So I think school board members, when she was being appointed at last week, said that was a big bonus, you know, having somebody who's local. And for right now, they are actually not going forward with a big nationwide search as they did the last time around. Right now, they said, we're going to, you know, pump the brakes. Let's see how she does in the job. We're not starting now. And we want to give her the chance to earn it. We want to see if she can handle this job. We think she can. And so we're not going to start a big search right now. 
you know, a few school board members don't agree with that. They think, you know, if, if we want to get the best candidate, we got to start searching now because, you know, the clock is ticking. You know, there's a difference of opinion there. But those people are outnumbered seven to two. So they, for right now, they're letting Dr. Karen Gagliardi earn the job before they see if they want to search for a permanent replacement. I think you're absolutely right about, you know, personalities really being important with handling uh, hot button right. issues. And also the process itself. I think the process is so important. I mean, one hot button issue just in the history of us publishing these newspapers, you know, one point gay marriage was on the agenda. We forget. I mean, it's, it's now uh, legal throughout America. We forget not too long ago, the first Obama administration, the first term, he was opposed to it. You know, so America is definitely evolved very quickly in that issue. I think New York State handled it really, really well. And this is the point I was trying to make. The reason that they handled it well is, you know, some other states, the law was changed through judicial fiat. In New York State, it was actually a Republican state senator, actually a, a friend of my aunt and uncle in Dutchess County, who was uh, one of the brave Republicans who voted in favor of gay marriage or marriage equality, however you want to call it, in New York State. But one thing I noticed about that issue is it disappeared in New York. Nobody cared after that. It was controversial beforehand. But the reason I believe it disappeared is because New York got the process right, which is it was not determined by judges. It was determined by elected officials, people elected by the people. And so there was a process. I think same thing with school boards. I think as long as parents on all sides of these controversial issues feel like they're being heard, I think that will go a long way towards kind of dialing down some of the... uh, Right. Yeah. For You know, it's a blessing and a curse to live in this community Mm -hmm. in the sense that I report on my neighbors sometimes. So that's a tough line to walk. But I do also live in this community and I talk to people when I'm not working. I, you know, I spoke to students. I speak to teachers. I have family members who work in the district. And from all the ones I've spoken to, none of them were really that sad to see him go. And it didn't even have anything to do with critical race theory. Some of the people didn't even know what it was. For whatever reason, he just didn't click with this community. And he had a ton on his plate. I mean, he took over probably at the most challenging time for a superintendent to take over uh, in July 2020, in the middle of COVID. While there's, And then we have this unrest going on uh, just nationally. And he took over at a very tough time. And to be a superintendent is to be a fearless, decisive leader that makes people feel warm and fuzzy. And it's a very tough needle to thread. And so, it's, you know, I think Dr. Ron Hatter over in Yorktown actually does it great. He's very good at that. He'll go to the elementary school and do story time with them. And then he'll, you know, at a school board meeting, if somebody says something about one of his employees, you know, he's not afraid to, you know, be very firm and where he stands on these issues. So it is a very tough needle to thread. And, you know, like I said, for whatever reason, he just didn't click with this community. I never had any personal issues with Lions. I didn't have any conversations with them really beyond professionally. He picked up the phone whenever I called, which is really all I can ask. And he never really shunned us if we wrote a story that made them, you know, painted them in a bad light. He was always very professional and picked up the phone when I called. So that's really all I can ask. I have to say, as, as someone in, in our industry, in, in the journalism industry, having a superintendent do that is definitely a valuable yeah. thing. He gave me a cell phone first week he got here. You know, I never had a problem. I just, you know, I didn't call him often. But, you know, whenever I had a question, I would just dial his cell phone. I wouldn't have to go through his secretary. I wouldn't have to schedule a time to talk to him. That's very valuable. You know, listen, I don't have a non-disparagement clause, but I'm not going to disparage him. You know, wish him well in the future. Obviously, just, you know, didn't work out here. Yeah, so, yeah. We'll never truly know why he's gone, but I think we all have pretty good guess. Interesting. Very interesting. And then actually, thank you for sharing about how, you know, he had a cell phone. I, that actually makes me feel very positively about him because, 
for a superintendent to share their cell phone with the local community editor of the local paper shows a large degree of respect for the community because they know that we're a valuable institution in the community. Just giving ourselves a little plug here. But Mm -hmm. um, I know the other big controversy in Yorktown was a vendor at the Yorktown Street Fair. Yeah, we'll stick with Yorktown for a little bit, then move over to Katona, where I have another story in schools also. So basically, the Yorktown Chamber of Commerce held its annual street fair and festival held every Sunday on a beautiful fall Sunday. For some people, I guess, you know, this beautiful community event where people come and play games, enjoy food trucks, uh, beer garden, dog costume parade. Uh, For some people, it was marred by one of the vendors they had that was selling T-shirts that said, let's go, Brandon. And I had never heard of this phrase before. I don't follow national news. I kind of avoid national politics and things like that. It's just not how I spend my free time. Um, I know Brett does. But <laughs> it's, it's not, I, 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 I was I was it. acutely aware of the phrase. For, <laughs> so I don't. I don't. Yeah. Basically, this is what happened. One of our sales reps, Corinne Stanton, she went around to pretty much every booth at the street fair and took pictures of all of them, and she posted them in a big gallery on our Facebook page. And you know, I get a call Monday morning saying, "Hey, do you know what?" this Let's Go Brandon thing's about? I said, no clue. And so I, I go look at it and I see a picture of former supervisor Michael Grace standing there next to the guy who's selling the shirts. I'm not sure who it is. I think I know who it is, but I don't want to say his name just in case I'm wrong. He alerted me to this whole thing about how a NASCAR driver named Brandon won a race. And as he's standing there being interviewed by a reporter, the crowd is chanting, fuck Joe Biden. And the reporter thinks they're saying, let's go Brandon. You know, that's where this whole thing happened. Oh, there's some right, speculation. Right? Well, I saw the video that you're talking about. Some people think that she's full of shit and she knows exactly what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, she might have been trying to play it off. But either, yeah. whatever Who the knows? case may yeah. be, yeah. whatever the case may be, uh, Let's Go Brandon, I think in the week or two since, has picked up this secret double meeting where if you know you say it to uh, someone who's like-minded politically and it's kind of a wink to each other. And, and so it's become kind of a rallying cry for a lot of conservatives you know, let's go, Brandon. And so they were selling these shirts. They must have gotten them together pretty quickly. It's actually kind of impressive. So he gets this booth at the street fair and he's selling these shirts. And our sales rep takes a picture and we put it on Facebook among the other ones. I'll tell you what I told the person who called me. You know, we're not going out of our way to promote that message, but we're not going to take it down. This was a vendor who was at the street festival and we documented it. That's our job. You know, your job is to react to it. And many people did. I told this person, if you're outraged, you can bring your concerns to the chamber. And if the chamber decides to change its bylaws going forward based on what they allow, then we'll report on that too. Personally, if you ask me, I don't think the venue was appropriate for the message. I think its political messages are fine at these events. No, I don't think anybody minds that they gave booths to the Democrats, the GOP, Yorktown for Justice, Moms for Liberty. That's a real group that had a booth. But I think this particular phrase is code for something vulgar. And that's kind of where I would draw the line. But you know, I, I know the chamber really is, they said it's a delicate issue, First Amendment reasons. And also they just, you know, they they don't necessarily ask every single vendor, you know, what are you selling? What message are you putting out there? And and so it's a very tough thing to regulate. I get that. But where did the proceeds go, Brian, for those? Good question. I don't know. I'm I'm assuming he pocketed them or I don't even know. I have to I have to look into this. You know, I, I don't know if this was related to a political group and money was going to raise money for that. You know, I have no clue if this is a private enterprise. But did the shirt itself actually have the profanity on it or was... no, the shirt said, let's go, Brandon. That was it. And then everybody yeah. else knows the, the secret. OK, I was well, I was going to say, I'm yeah, like, oh, right, if, right, right. If it actually, so, I, I thought it actually had the profanity on it. I was like, oh, that's a, that's a little much for a street fair. But OK, yeah, yeah. 
the, so so the shirt said "Let's go, Brandon," but the double meaning obviously is. is I thought it actually yeah. had the other word directly. Right. No, I, got it. It. I, I <laughs> never heard of that. So, yeah, so he, I, I did talk to um to Sergio Esposito. He's the president of the Yorktown Chamber, Chamber, and also he's running for town board in Yorktown. He's also, for full disclosure, he is the person who uh, manages all our computer systems for Halston Media, the owner of, of our newspapers and this podcast. You know, I also I own Halston Media for full disclosure as well. So I had a conversation with him. I had two conversations with him. I had one off the record conversation. I had one on the record conversation because when he told me something off the record, I said, okay, well, can I make this on the record? He said, yes. So I said, off the record, Sergio, did you know about the Let's Go Brandon thing? He said, no, I did not. And I said, well, can I reveal that you didn't know that? Because I think that's newsworthy that you were not aware. Uh, he said, yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, so he, he, he tells me that he found out about the same time that we did on Monday morning. And he had to look it up also. I believe Sergio. And the reason I believe Sergio, I know the guy wears many hats, crazy busy. He's running for town board with an election less than a month away and putting on, I think, the biggest annual event, public event in, in Yorktown every year, if not the biggest, certainly one of the Yorktown, biggest. believe it or not, is like a very event-heavy town. Like yes, they, yeah. they have their Christmas parade, the Feast of San Gennaro just happened, which is monstrous. Yeah, uh, five days. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, but one yeah, of the larger just... events, the guy had his hands full and that meme, the Let's Go Brandon meme, took off about a week before this event. So right. for him to be unaware, I, I'm not shocked by that. So. Yeah, I, well, I think that's fair. But I know Aaron Bach, the chairperson of the uh, board of directors, he wrote a letter to the editor this week, basically saying that it's just a delicate issue. He said, you know, we'll, we'll review it, but it's a really, really, uh, it's hard to regulate these things. I, I don't want to take his words out of context, but yeah, he said, he said it's a delicate issue, you know, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, he apologizes if anyone was offended, but that's that. Uh, so jumping to Katona and Loosborough. Right. So this last story is one that we were actually torn on reporting. And I, I think it's fair to explain our decision-making process here. So we were alerted to the fact that John Jay High School is without a school resource officer. So basically, school resource officers weren't a thing when I was in school, but now they're pretty common in every school. And if you not know, they're usually a member of the local police department that is stationed in the school, usually armed. And so they're they're there not just to prevent a tragedy or respond to a tragedy, but to also be part of the community, you know, to chat with the kids. I know a lot of them have police clubs where this SRO will lead it and law enforcement clubs. So it's part of that, too. It's getting to know the younger community. And if they have a problem, they can come to you. That's part of what it is, too. We were torn on whether to report this because we didn't want to create a security risk. You know, by reporting this, are we letting people know? But, you know, after thinking about it, it's news. Enough parents were alerting us to the fact that, it one, it's probably already fairly widely known within the community. Two, it's news. It's newsworthy that a school district has decided to not have an SRO right now. And I should say decided in the sense that they have budgeted. So I'll give some context. Frank Secret, who is the former chief of the Lewisboro Police Department, he was with the police department for about 40 plus years. He was doing the SRO duties basically on a part-time basis. You know, he was making 60000 a year. That's what they budgeted. I don't know if he was making it, but there's a bunch of other like ancillary expenses that go with it too, like benefits and stuff. So they budgeted 60000 a year for Frank Secret to be the SRO. And he was doing it on a part-time basis. And what the chief of the police department, David Alfano, told us is he was putting in more hours than required. So he was kind of working beyond a part-time job. And, you know, maybe Katona Lewisboro, the John Jay High School kind of took that for granted that, you know, 
that somebody else could do what he was doing for that price. But now that he's retired, John Jay High School has been without an SRO since September, since school started. And Marjorie Schiff, the president of the school board, says that they have budgeted the same amount as they have in years past. But Chief Alfano of the police department says that's not good enough. To hire a new SRO, which he wants to do, he estimated would cost $150,000. And that's not, again, wow. not, ju- not just for the salary. It's for, you know, I guess a bunch of other things, benefits, uh, cruiser, you know, even small things like uh, uniform, you know, stuff like that. There's, I guess there's a lot of like ancillary expenses that, that happen when you hire someone. And so right now, Alfano said that the school district wants it to be a 50-50 split, but Alfano just does not have the money in his budget, he says. So they're kind of at an impasse there. So Alfano wants the school district to incur that $150,000 cost, which would be 90000 more than the school district had in the past. And the school district said, you know, we're working on it. That's all they will really tell us. We're working with the decision makers. So I don't know if this will get solved anytime soon. I know that they are having discussions and parents keep alerting us to it. They don't like the fact that their high school doesn't have an SRO right now and they want one. Yeah, definitely nothing more uh, important and precious than our children. For sure, it's an important issue. So that's where we stand. Like I said, we were torn on to whether to report it, but you know, we eventually decided to. I think it was the right decision. So we'll see what happens now. And I, I know there was one person who went to like basically every one of our Facebook posts. Um, yeah, they were really dedicated. So we, we admittedly don't get a ton of traction on our Katona Lewisboro Facebook page. This person took it upon themselves to write the same comment over and over on like the last five to 10 posts, you know, you know, John Jay High School doesn't have an SRO. John Jay High School doesn't have an SRO. Gets to the point where you can't ignore it. So I know Brett texted me and, and so I put our, our fearless reporter, Tom Bartley, on the case. And he found out very quickly, you know, through his interviews that this was indeed the case. And uh, that's so that the report you see, this actually hasn't been discussed publicly at school board meetings. This is just through our reporting and speaking with uh, Chief Alfano and speaking with the school board president that we found this out. Good. Very good. I think good investigative reporting there. So that's awesome. And uh, also, I just wanted to alert our readers that we will, or our listeners, that we will be holding out of all our towns. And I, I know Somers, uh, Somers actually requested, Somers Democrats requested that we do a um, debate in the town of Somers. I declined. I, you know, Bob, you know, with your health issues and uh, Lauren was diagnosed with COVID almost two months ago. And she's still, she actually has long haul. She's 42 years old, no breathing issues. And all of a sudden she can't walk a few feet without using an, you know, an inhaler. With all of that, I just personally overwhelmed. So I, I turned down the Somers, but we did, Katona is a new community for us to be covering. So I did want to do a debate in Katona. The Democrats turned that down. But we want to move forward. The Republicans want to do a forum regardless. So we do plan to do that on October 27th, Wednesday, October 27th. So, you know, if the Democrats change their mind, they're welcome to join us. In fairness to the Democrats, they last night, today we're talking on October 14th. So on October 13th, there was a League of Women Voters forum that they participated in. And also in fairness to the Democrats as well, I I was sort of late out of the... uh, gate in terms of uh, presenting the idea to everybody. I've been kind of slow on this issue. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily blame anyone for saying, hey, you know what, it's a couple of weeks away from the election. You know, we just did something, you know, you were kind of late, you know. So anyway, I'm looking forward to doing this forum and uh, we'll be doing it with, uh, with Brian and with Tom, hopefully. And, uh, you know, it should be a good conversation. Anyway, thank you all very much. Uh, anyone else want to add something before we take off? 
No, just the elections are very soon, which it, it totally throws me off because early voting started uh, starts October 23rd. And it completely rushed up my timeline to do candidate profiles because I for, had forgotten about that. Yeah. I wonder what the numbers are in terms of how many people vote early versus on election day. I'd be curious to know that, you know, I'll admit I'm probably just going to vote early because I just want to get it out of the way. You know, just, yeah. uh, you know, that's what I did in uh, last year. Probably do it again this year. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have to say, I, I, I think this is silly season. This is Halston Media's Christmas every year. Um, and when mm-hmm. I say it's our Christmas is that we do get our biggest billing issues of the year are in October because of political ads. Those take up pretty much the first half of our papers by at the same time, I can't wait for the season to be over because, you know, the Republicans all think we're Democrats. The Democrats all think we're Republicans. It's a lose-lose for us every year. So can't wait till it's over. I'm into that. <laughs> all right. Take uh-huh. care, everybody. All, all right. right. Bye-bye. Bye.